goal of Data Transformers podcast is to accelerate digital transformation by bridging the gap between business outcomes and rapidly advancing technologies. And we aim to bridge this gap by focusing on data. I am Peggy Sai, top 50 women in tech influencer, co-author of the AI book and data governance expert. I'm Ramesh Danta, an entrepreneur, a tech blogger, and AI enthusiast. So just going back to your professional journey, I mean, one question we always ask our um, um, guest speakers is how they made the transition from one role to another. And it seemed like you worked at so many, um, you know, many, many companies. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, what made, what triggered your decision? Um, you know, so, you know, starting from your first job, like what triggered your decision to, to change roles? Was it some you wanted to learn and grow more or you felt that it was a better opportunity. So I'm just curious about how you made all those transitions in your professional journey. Well, me personally, I, I've always been, you know, attracted to disruptive innovation. So um, when I got the opportunity to, to jump on TiVo, uh, that, that was an exciting innovation. Um, the ability to start the first Android smartphone uh, that was an innovation that I wanted to be part of. So those were, those were, you know, the core of what what my transition decisions were was uh, jump jumping on that next innovation. Hmm. So, so Dan, actually, I'm now I'm trying to connect your professional journey with respect to dealing with the data mm -hmm. uh, over a period of time, but different sets of companies, right? So now you're dealing with the video related. Uh, data uh, with your video, uh, the AI thing, right? So yeah. what, what changes the evolution have you seen about, uh, you know, the company's uh, uh, perspectives about data, like how they work with data uh, over the period of time? And then uh, is it more increased focus, increased focus on quality? What have you been seeing over the period? I guess data has always been important to business. Um, but the scale that we can manage data has changed dramatically in the last decade, right? Um, uh, an interesting story. At TiVo, I, you know, I drove the requirements in the construction of the first recommendation engine uh, based on both the TV guide metadata as well as the consumer behavioral data that we had access. Kind of what Netflix does today, but Netflix is way more advanced because they have way more data and, and way more uh, usage information than we had, but uh, that was all data-based. And uh, you know, the famous story about that, one, one reporter who had a TiVo uh, wrote about, he thought his TiVo thought he was gay because uh, it recommended to him some, some uh, comedy, gay comedy because mm. he watched two different shows that happened to correlate to that comedy. So uh, you, could, you can easily make mis mistakes if you don't have enough data to, to accomplish the task. But now, now with GPUs and and you know massive cloud farms of, of computers, the amount of data that a business can can manage effectively has gone up, you know, ten orders of magnitude what it was then. I mean, Dale, it's it's I mean it's very obvious to anyone listening to this episode that you know you have you know you're the expert in, in video AI. Um, and, and you mentioned earlier in your business community, yet you, um, you welcome students to join the community 
Um, I'm curious what type of um, advice you, you give to you know students who are you know learning in this field right now. Um, like what type of advice they should uh, take in terms of either learning something specifically or should they have more industry experience? Like what's the most helpful type of advice you can, you can give students today? Yeah, as I mentioned, the ABADI community is a business community. So we focus on uh, making successful businesses in this space. And you know, beyond building the, the right ecosystem, which is critical given the technology evolution uh, rate as it is, um, to, to me, number one is always understanding what, what the customers value. And a lot of people will be uh, impressed by a particular innovation in the technology domain but if you can't translate that effectively into a a consumer value point you'll never make a good business so it's uh that that's something that i continually remind you know, students and seasoned entrepreneurs that, that the customer customer is the one who pays the bills and, and is all important in, in business hmm. unfortunately they don't teach that in <laughs> In graduate schools today, uh, it's not a course. Um, well, Amazon so is something... quite famous for having this discipline, right? I mean, Amazon, uh, they actually take it to extreme. They don't even care what competitors do. They, they focus on doing the best they can for the customer um, and they, they feel that they win. And so far they've demonstrated that they can win, ignoring, ignoring competition, just doing what the customer tells them is valuable. So is that something students should just, you know, learn on the job, or or hope that their first few jobs teach them teaches them about what customers want? I mean, that's not. I'm just saying that it's not a very common. Yeah, um, the Amazon, Amazon takes it to extreme. I mean, they're they're an example where they've totally um, honed that, and they've demonstrated they can make that successful. But I like to hold them up as an example of the extreme case. Uh, most other companies, uh, you know, our former employer Intel, on the other hand, uh, cares cares uh, about their competition, defending defending their monopoly, and uh, their their focus was more about killing the competition than it was about making the customer happy. So, <laughs> so very different cultures between the two. I I think the Amazon culture is healthier, uh, although I, I, I feel it's a little extreme, completely ignoring competition, but uh, mm -hmm. they have their way of, they have a way of incorporating competition in the way they develop their, their customer solution. So they, they, officially they ignore it, but technically, technically it's part of the process, but it's not ignored. So, hmm. so, so Dale, I mean, towards the last uh, phase of this podcast, uh, we typically explore the trends um, and then which ones are going to near term or which are going to be long term. And uh, now let me actually start even broader than video AI. So in the AI space, right? Mm -hmm. So first I wanna ask you a question, where does video portion of the AI fit into? Um, is it uh, uh, still a, a lot more work needs to be done for businesses to extract ROI from it? Are there segments where the video has really advanced where the artificial intelligence aspect of it? For example, I'm, I'm, the thing that comes to my mind is, is the uh, you know, healthcare, 
right? Healthcare, not from a surveillance perspective, healthcare more from a diagnosis perspective, right? So yeah. it seems like a, there are advances may, being made. So the question is, in the broader AI, is the video AI is leading the AI effort or uh, where is it? So the place where they're making a lot of progress in medicine is things like picking out interesting areas in x-rays or, or medical images. Um, there's a company that I am familiar with where they're taking NMR or scans of the heart and they're actually measuring the, the occlusion of each, each vessel within the heart in order to diagnose whether you need a stint or not without, without intrusively going in and, and looking, looking to see how blocked it is. Hmm. So those kinds of things, that's all AI-based um, matching and, and measurements that, that they use to deliver that. So uh, under those very tightly constrained, you know, they control how the imager uh, is set up and they control, control the test set and they, they can define places where it doesn't operate. You know, don't, don't use it on these type of people or don't use it on this kind of condition. But if you can say, oh, we've trained it specifically on these kinds of conditions, specifically these kinds of people, then you can feel pr pretty confident on the, the data that you get out of that uh, very tightly constrained environment. Again, I'll get back to the more general and unconstrained the problem you try to solve with vision, uh, that's where it gets intractable for today's technology. But if you can control a lot of the variables and uh, it, it's much more tract tractable as long, as long as it's posed as a, a recognition problem. Hmm. There, there are other problems that aren't yet solved. Well, the recognition problems are pr pretty good under constrained conditions. That's actually very interesting. You brought that example because uh, we had a, a previous podcast uh, speaker talk about using AI um, on X-rays and um, to check whether or not the patient had um, COVID nineteen or not, and being able to collect large sample sets from you know the diverse population and um, you know putting putting labels and features. Uh, to do that and you know produce an algorithm that actually we're able to you know, predict it. So it's it seems like as you said very controlled um, situations and I, I love that it's in the healthcare space because you know it sounds like it has you know a lot of great benefits and as you said earlier like um, the health health and gym you know that kind of space as well. I'm I'm curious what other you know examples there are where such fo focalized, controlled um, use cases would would benefit um, people in the future too. In the future or today? Well, today and and the future, either either one. Yeah, well, the the ones behind the scene. There's a lot of Martech use of computer vision. Um, they use them for detecting how often brands appear, appear in certain types of content. Um, so they're doing logo counting, that, that kind of recognition. Uh, they're using it for uh, even, uh, like I said, brand safe advertising. So detecting what the content is of, of the video to determine whether or not you know, a baby ad belongs with that content or, or whether whether it, they should replace it with something more aligned with what uh, is in that content if it's adult or or uh, uh, violent or, or some other 
some other thing that would be incompatible with the brand of the advertiser that they're showing. So there's already stuff like that being deployed. Mm -hmm. um, there's also ad personalization, which is more data-driven AI than it is visual-driven AI, but it's just in the beginnings of doing that. Hmm. What about the concept of um, you know, customer sentiment? Um, do you think video AI would ever be at a point where it can read people's reactions to an advertisement and then gauge whether or not something like that would be a successful campaign or not? Like, do you think that's... Uh... Yeah, they're, they're doing that already. There's a company called Effectiva in Boston that uh, uh, they sell their services in the motion recognition and they use it, just like you said, to determine mm -hmm how viewers are responding to advertisements and getting their emotions. That's scary, Dale. So, so now I'm really scared. Market technology, Mark. Yeah, that's definitely how it's done. I know. It's Orwellian, right? Which is like, I'm sitting, all I want to do is watch a, you know, TV, some program. Now you're telling me they're going to track my eyes to see if I'm paying attention or not. Yeah, they, they watch where, where you're looking. It's like, are, are, are you looking at the... The woman's eyes are you looking at some other part of her body and then we'll have that data <laughs> that's very sad yeah so um the, the, the along those lines the, my question is for example what are the big barriers uh, i'll give an example in, in the uh, see, uh electric vehicle market the battery technology was seen as a big barrier if you solve that then the cars can go longer and then you can ch charge the you know faster kind of stuff so that becomes a big barrier if you solve it then a lot of advancements can be made so likewise in uh in the space that you're operating in video visual ai w are there any big barriers that once you solve them then uh, the field will open up a lot more opportunities well i i think compute continues to get cheaper and and uh, faster uh, but it's still not there yet for the more complex like I said, if you get to the point where you're modeling the scene and, and doing comparisons in a modeled 3D world, that uh, we're not there yet, but you know, it, it's on the horizon. You know, a few more, few more uh, uh, orders of magnitude compute performance and you can get to systems that can do that. But um, I think right now we're pushing the limits of what we, we can deploy with the current semiconductor technology at a certain, certain cost, but that's, that's advancing very rapidly. So um, I'm optimistic that we're, we're, we're constrained by it, but it, it's still advancing quickly. So we continue to make progress. So, okay, out of the compute and storage, storage is not an issue, but the compute, the ability to real-time compute and then inference and, and then give the result, that's where the barrier is. Correct. Mm -hmm. And the cost of that, right? I mean, cost and time, both, both are relevant factors. and. If you include edge cases like automobiles and uh, other devices like that, power becomes a, a significant issue. Yeah. Hmm. Already the, the stuff that they've, you know, they deploy in Waymo and, and some of these other self-driving vehicles uh, consume a considerable amount of the, the yeah, I guess the range, range of the electric battery of the electric cars. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a problem. So I feel like we can never have a conversation about AI without talking about ethics. Mm -hmm. um, Ramesh is nodding his head because 
Um, and I just want to know your your thoughts on on that, Dale, because you know it, it just seems like all the examples we we're talking about it, it is somewhat invasive in terms of people's privacy, but it's also helpful. You know, the other you know use cases where it's definitely helpful and beneficial. So, love to hear what your thoughts are on you know ethics and video AI and how. It can be managed or you know what can be done to control it what are, what are your thoughts actually to yeah. add to what peggy said facial recognition we have not even touched upon right i mean there's huge ethical implications of that one and especially in some areas of law enforcement uh, it's restricted so i think i really want to double up on peggy's question i want to get uh, your opinions on that sure so i think first let's sort of separate the issues of of privacy from, uh, I guess, the, the issues of bias, because they're, they're really separate issues. Um, for, for privacy, I think we, we bump up into that more um, because we're more surveillance oriented and more uh, out remotely um, gathering information that are in what have traditionally been sensitive areas, even though consumers have put up with security cameras and shopping malls and and grocery stores for years, uh, the expectation there is they're they're looking for, you know, criminals uh, stealing stuff off the shelf or you know, trying trying to rob somebody. Uh, but what what's happening is uh, that those cameras are watching you pick stuff off the shelf and seeing seeing which brands you engage with and which ones you aren't, and they're able to provide that back to to the manufacturers and advertisers to make targeted ads that. That target you as a as a demographic, as a as a you know, ma male who's a certain age and you know, certain geography, and say he likes his brand. We should uh, target more ads at him so he buys more of our products. So that that's not a current expectation of what's going on with the, these surveillance cameras, but the technology is there to do that. And I think from a privacy perspective, our society, our culture hasn't grappled with the fact that I actually want to control. If somebody's looking at me getting that kind of data, I actually want to control how it's used. Mm. I, want to, I want to own my behavioral data. I don't want it generally sellable to anybody because it's just it's it's me and it's my, my uh, privacy, and I don't really want to render that out to other people. So <coughs> it's coming. We need to deal with that, and we need to deal with it soon because it's it's already here. It just hasn't hit. And you know, we put up with a Facebook and. And Google too, but I'm I'm of the same minds that they, they use my data that in ways that I don't approve of, and they know, they don't give me any control to disapprove of it. So I'm not, not happy about that. But the bias issue is a completely different one. In my mind, uh, unfortunately, a lot of times the technology reflects the bias of the humans that are implementing it. So it, it's not the bias isn't implicit in the technology. The bias is implicit in the users of the technology. So, correct. The only real way to eliminate it is eliminate the, the users of the technology to get rid of those biases ultimately. But uh, before then, you, you can have can have checks and and best practices that that try to reduce them. But um, unfortunately, humans are biased in, in general. Hmm. So, so that. Um, actually, that's a good point. Uh, so Peggy and I talked to a couple of other um, um, people who focus on ethical aspects of it. 
And uh, yeah, with respect to bias, I think that's a challenge uh, that has to be dealt with. There are a lot of examples where the training data itself has bias. Then uh, what do you do on top of it uh, in inferencing that you remove the bias as opposed to oh, blaming the technology that, that has included the bias in it? So yes, the technology is not biased, right? The, the concern is that the, the technology reflects the existing biases that are in the data. So yeah. that's uh, problematic. So with that, uh, Dale, are there any areas that uh, that are near and dear to you that we have not touched upon as we conclude this podcast? Well, I think we touched on it briefly, but uh, I want to, uh, I guess, re restate it because it, it is something that I think is really important. And that is using visual behavioral analytics to improve uh, caregiver situations. So whether it's uh, nanny or, or child care or elderly care, uh, there's, there's a significant deficit in the amount of humans that are available to care for other humans. And I think this kind of technology can augment and, and help improve the lives of people that, are, that require care. And, and, and I'm excited about it and, and, and you know, I'm pushing you know, in many different ways to accelerate the adoption of that so that we can you know, take better care of our, our at, at risk populations or our populations that really need additional help. Uh, Actually, I want, I want to conclude on that one, but I have a small question on that. Is there, see, one of the things is that, is there money in, in whatever use case we're talking about, right? So it is, it's a good thing to do, right? Elderly care, child care, you know, especially when we don't have people who care for others, but is there uh, for businesses who want to go into that, can they make money uh, with this one or still um, there are cost barriers to deliver a compelling solution? So the cost, the average cost across the U.S. is like $19,000 a year for in-home in care. Mm. That's the average. And they're like 13, 14 million unskilled uh, uh, caregivers in the U.S. And, you know, they're they're making an average of $20,000. That's a decent sized market, but that's just the unskilled. There's also skilled and nursing population, which they're paid much more. They're much more expensive. And the, the level of care that the, their clients need is, is even higher because you know, the unskilled people are, you know, they're being nannies and, and they're you know, keeping, keeping an eye on grandma to make sure she's uh, fed. Uh, the nurses actually have people who are unhealthy or, or debilitated and, and really need a lot of help and uh, that, that's way more expensive so yeah there's there's a lot of money being spent today in in addressing these issues and and there aren't enough resources to address the issue as well so i think there's lots of opportunity there well if, if that could have been possible nine years ago when my son was a baby to have video ai take care of him no, i'm <laughs> Sure, it's more for yeah, it's more of an augmentation, right? It's improving the quality, and uh, you know, I have yes, yeah. I agree with that. Right? Make, making sure they don't uh, run out the door when you're not looking, so that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. <laughs> or uh, get something in their uh, mouth or throat, you know, which you know, which could be a safety issue as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, lots, lots of ways to improve the current situation. Excellent. It's definitely a lot of great ideas. Um, New, new ways of thinking about this, Dale, that I certainly haven't uh, considered. 
um, before our conversation today. So um, really appreciate uh, your time today, Dale, with sharing with us your, your expertise. Thank you, it's my pleasure. Thanks, Dale. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard today and would like to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite player like iTunes and Spotify. And please do rate our podcast. Also, please go to our website, www.datatransformerspodcast.com for more episodes, blogs, and information on our speakers. Thank you.